It's morning. It's a show. Sometimes it's about woodworking. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. Morning, everyone. It's morning. It's a show. At least for some of you. I was saying, good <laughs> morning, <be>. everybody. <laughs> it's very late for Ness. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so, good morning, everybody. It is the Woodworking Morning Show. I'm Mark. And I'm Nicole. We're going to talk to you about woodworking. We're going to answer some questions. We're going to appreciate our employees. Yes, it is Employee Appreciation Day. It is. Did you guys know that? I only knew this because uh, edible arrangements told me. Mm-hmm. If you go into work today and, uh, and you don't have like I don't know something on your desk from your boss. You can you can give them the uh, the stink eye later. Yeah. Like, thanks. But uh, thanks for the appreciation. Our employees are going to get a little something special delivered to them today. Oh really? Yeah. Am I going to get anything? Nope. You're not an employee. I'm an employee of this nope. business. Yeah, of the business, but you're the boss. <laughs> no, not. It's cute that you're saying all this, Nicole. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So uh, just employee employee appreciation day. Of course. Thank you. Mom, because mm-hmm. my mom is actually an employee. Uh, thank you, Nicole. Oh, yes, I am an employee. Uh, thank you to our assistant, John. John. John helps me out in the shop uh, uh, four days a week. And uh, thank you to our newest employee. Newest employee. Which is our buddy, Todd. Todd's in the chat. Down there in Texas, editing the video like a madman. Uh, Todd is now a full-time Wood Whisperer employee. We are glad to have him on board because we have so much video yeah. that's backlogged. What's going to happen, though? He'll go through that uh-huh. pretty quickly, and then he'll be sitting around twiddling his thumbs. No, like, no. I have, on, I have a feeling Todd is going to do some amazing stuff with, with that old video, too. He's going to have to. <laughs> I know this is probably news to you, Todd. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so we want to thank some people who helped support the show, uh, whether it's on Patreon, Patreon or on YouTube. There are both places you can go. That's patreon.com slash woodwhisper. And on YouTube, if you don't see the join or the membership button, uh, try on a desktop because it's not always on mobile. Uh, we want to thank Kirk Hart and Subpoena Tui, Brendan Feely, Mr. Superb Donor 2000. Mr. Feely? What? No. You missed the oh, good one, though. sorry. Mr. Superb Donor you 2000. Made, you made fun of a person's real name. <laughs> I was going to make fun of somebody's funny name. Uh, worst rap name ever, by the way. Mr. Superb Donor 2000. <laughs> Mary Beth Johnston, Jacob H. Cheryl Gilding, Mark Frazier, uh, B. Clamp- Clampaign 08, Travis Webster, Joseph Mateo with two Aww. T's. Dino Mateo, Bat. I'd love to see your name. Dino Bat. Every time I see that person's name, I think of Aquabats. Right. Aquabats. That's yeah. a fun, fun kids band, if you're not sure. What kids Aquab- band? How dare well, you? They, they're geared towards kids. No, no. Aquabats? No, Nicole, yeah. No. They were on a kid's show, and that's yeah, the only reason yeah, yeah. you know them. That doesn't well, make them. And they're dressed a... up like superheroes. Well, that sounds just right for me. <laughs> anyway, Chris Newman and Donald Bonderson. Yeah. So thank you so much, everybody, for helping out. We really appreciate it. Love that support. Um, I also want to. Not only is it National Employee Appreciation Day, mm-hmm. it is National Reading oh, Month. Oh yes, that's right. So this whole month is like encouraging kids to read. So like at Mateo's school, they're doing like a readathon. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we used to do is we used to bring in like grandparents and parents and, you know, high school football players and cheerleaders and they would read to the kids. Well, yeah. that's not possible this year. So I organized a way for people to record themselves reading books 
read-alongs and submit it to the teachers. Mm -hmm. And Mark did one. So I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to do it on the We're show. We're not going to do it. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, she'll put a link if you want to see I it. Wanna, I, if you haven't explored <laughs> the read-along genre in YouTube for your kids, it's great. Because if you like, if you don't want to read at night, maybe your voice is tired from talking, or you just don't feel or you like it. You just want to lay there, nearly comatose, there. because your kids are horrible. <laughs> I just, just like, want to go to bed. I just like Ava. Just give me a break. Here, let's let's read a book, and I pull up a read along. Here's the great thing: I did two of these read alongs, and we've been watching them every night. So I am reading to her mm -hmm. just through a video. Oh, sure you are, Nicole. <laughs> right, like when, like we're feeding our kids when we take them to McDonald's. Yes, uh, <laughs> but it's still, it's great. There so, is a YouTube read-along channel that I think is the best one out there, and I story time with Becky. No, no, I've looked at a number of these. Kid time, story time. Kid time, story time. And the lady that does that, we were watching her since the early days, her evolution and the way she's changed her approach to actually being in the videos and stuff. She's fantastic, super talented. She's actually done commercials and had like, she, I looked at her IMDb, she's done some, like some real work. <laughs> you admire her. No, she's just, she's, she's too talented for yes. YouTube. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's not, that is what I meant, but that I don't want to be quoted as saying something like that. <laughs> just, because obviously that's what YouTube is. Yes, yes, that's yes, where yes, the yes, stuff yes. is. But it was like this She's is, a master of her own destiny on YouTube. But this was not your typical story reader that you find on YouTube. What? Like She's, what she did? She does great voice talent, like voice work and things like that. So I'm like, wait, there's something up with this lady. She's just not like your average lady just doing this for fun. Turns out she actually does work in the industry. <laughs> so... I know that doesn't title have, of the show, Nicole. Yeah. Too talented for YouTube. <laughs> I know this doesn't have anything to do with woodworking, but mm, there we go. It's, I wanted to share the video of Mark reading. I'm bored. Yeah. Okay, let's get to our questions let's get today. To um, enough goofing off. <laughs> Jeff says, when building a trestle table or even one with a pedestal on both ends, is there a general rule for the distance that the legs and pedestals are from the ends of the table to comfortably allow for seating and still be stable enough not to tip if someone leans on the end? Well, I think this is going to be really on a on a case-by-case -case basis in terms of like the tipping because a lot of that comes down to the weight. So what is the weight of the base? That's really going to help determine. Like my uh, workbench has a pretty good overhang, but this base is so beefy and heavy uh, that you can, you know, kind of do a handstand on the corner and it's not going to tip over. So the base impacts that a lot. The overhang is just the last part of that equation. So you'll have to do a little bit of testing. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I think there are numbers for this stuff. If you, the easiest way to do this though is go sit at a table, right? Go sit at a desk and put your chair in, get yourself to a com like a comfortable situation as if you were actually eating, and then get a tape measure. And you can actually see from people who are gonna be using these pieces, you don't have to use theoretical numbers, actually go and measure it. And that's how I often do it. Uh, and I will go in and look at existing pieces of furniture and just see how much leg room do I really need here. Uh, our trestle table in the kitchen, for mm -hmm. instance, while we do have seats at the ends, I do feel like, I mean, we had a small space. I could only do so much with it. Uh, but I do feel like the overhang wasn't enough because if you really push in and you actually sit on the end most of the time when yep, we eat at that table, uh, you can hit your knee on the, the uh, through tendon on there. So I don't. No? You got tiny little knees. Uh, <laughs> so it, obviously if I hit my, on the, my knee on there and she doesn't, well, maybe I'm kind of borderline on where it you're should little, be. You're a little taller than me. 
maybe just a little. Uh, I got a question from Rick Brown. Uh, if you're not familiar, if you're new to the show, I pull questions from the YouTube chat while Mark is reading questions that we've uh, asked our Patreon and YouTube supporters before the show. Yeah. Uh, so this is from Rick Brown. A new for a new Lee Nielsen smoothing plane number four. Should I get a forty-five or fifty degree? Still a beginner, but working with maple and walnut, I got their block plane already. So is he talking about the frog? I'm guessing. Okay, so if he's doing a uh, bevel down standard traditional plane, I, you know, I would probably just go with the the standard, uh, which would probably be the forty-five. Um, the other one, what do they call that? York pitch uh, for the the high angle. I mean, that is more forgiving, but it's harder to push, you know? So I guess, I don't know, man. That's, that's a little bit tricky. This is why I like, uh, uh, what do you call it, bevel up blades, right? Because they're just easier to adjust with regard to the angle of attack. I could just change it on the blade. I don't have to buy a separate frog for my plane. But some people really prefer that heavier bodied plane. Uh, Matt, for some reason, likes to have a place for his fingers to go. It's a whole thing with him. Uh, so, ah, man, I'm kind of torn because... I do find that most of the time when I'm working with temperamental wood species, I'm going to go with that higher angle because it just is more reliable for me to hit a board and not deal with tear out at the very last moment, which is the worst case scenario. I'm going to change my answer. Well, Scott Walsh in the chat said definitely go with a 45 if you go first smoother. But that's the thing. The, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be harder to push if it's a higher angle, yeah. uh, but you tend to the more standard practice that will work on most woods is going to be your standard 45 degree angle. Hmm. So you know what? Maybe this is a good one for the chat room. This is a good survey question. Yeah. Uh, if you had to choose just one, which would you choose? I think most people right off the bat are not even going to think about it. They're just going to buy the one that comes with it, and that's going to be the 45. Is that the one that comes yeah, with Yeah, the it? high angle is kind of considered your specialty situation. Mm -hmm. Figured woods, uh, really you know, interlocking grain woods that might have a lot of tear out. I just find those more forgiving, but you do have to push harder. So. Ness said, I declare today Spags Appreciation Day. Well, all right. Let's do it. Thanks, Ness. Thank you, Ness. I also want to give a shout out to Joey Griswold in the chat. He says, morning, watching your videos really got me into woodworking. I go to a vocational school for carpentry now. Just oh, wanted sweet. to say thank you. That is awesome, Joey. Well, that's, yeah, good luck with uh, your career path. That's awesome to hear. Okay, MMG wrote in and says, Hey, Mark, I'm almost finished with a torsion box assembly table at a three-quarter inch MDF and was wondering what you'd recommend for protecting the top surface. I believe you built tables with MDF and applied a finish before. Uh, you've also used a hardboard topper. So having experience with both, which would you say does the job well enough? Uh, P.S. My wife loves the fact that I'm using the kitchen island countertop as a flat reference surface for building a torsion box. <laughs> it's great to hear. I'm sure she it's does a man after that. my own yeah, heart right there. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. I think the hardboard idea was a great concept, like in theory. Uh, but the reality is a thin piece of hardboard on top of the MDF, if you just kind of have screw points here and there where you've uh, attached it, you tend to have just slight bubbling ever so slightly between those screw points. So you, you don't, you kind of rob yourself of the flat surface that you just spent a lot of time creating. So I'm actually going to say, you know, at this point, Maybe don't do the hardboard. Just go with the MDF top. It'll be fine. Uh, furthermore, I It'll never, I never, never replaced that hardboard top, even though I told people to do it, and it was good in theory. Like, if it gets really messy, you just pop it out and pop a new one in. I never did that, ever. So I would say go with the MDF top. And as for the finish, anything, man, anything you want to put on there is perfectly fine. You just want to seal it so stuff doesn't absorb. Uh, you can use an oil finish to do that. Um, you can get there a lot faster if you use something like 
just something like a wiping varnish or a you know, Minwax wipe-on poly, something that stops stains and liquids from absorbing into that MDF. That's all you really need to do. Um, depending on what you're doing with it, you know, having it be slippery, uh, if you're kind of maybe using it as partially an outfeed table, I mean, it's assembly table, so it's not, it's more important that it rejects glue and finishes uh, than that it be grippy, you know, kind of like your workbench would be. Uh, so also when you're done, maybe hit it with a nice coat of furniture wax, you know, something that will very quickly reject glue droplets and things like that. I got a super chat there from uh, Stephen. Stephen Cameron. Yep. Ouch. Okay, new to woodworking. Asleep. Right my foot, what, my foot's asleep. I crossed my legs, and I shouldn't have done that. Crisscross applesauce, Nicole. New to woodworking, getting uh, my one of shop, one of shop setup for my woodworking tools. Uh, just got a bench top table saw that's janky and feels unsafe using. Router table surface planer. Uh, what big tool should I get next? The one you need next. Okay, so he's he's got a uh, bench top table saw. Well, look, let's stop right there. You have a table saw that you feel unsafe using. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. Normally, I don't recommend upgrading a tool you already have before you satisfy functionality you don't have, right? So let's say you, you have a table saw that works. It's okay, not the best, but it works. Then the next tool you could get would be like a bandsaw. Now you have a whole different functionality. What about miter saw? Well, don't, don't, don't stop me in the middle of my flow here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to make a point. I got a flow. Got a flow going. I'm in the flow. Yeah. Need to get, out, get of the out of the flow. I'm in the flow. <laughs> so you satisfy that by buying the bandsaw. Now you have different functionality. And then later, after you've satisfied all the different functions you need in the shop, you can go back to the table saw and buy a new one that's going to be a little bit better. Uh, I usually don't recommend uh, replacing something you already have just to get something that's a little bit better. But in your case, you're telling me you think it's unsafe and it's janky. To me, as far as I'm concerned, you don't have a table saw. Um, maybe that would be the first thing I would replace because I do think the table saw is still... Uh, one of the most um, multifunction important tools that you can have in the shop and having a safe table saw is super important. So I don't know, man, I might just go for that, uh, for a replacement for the table saw. Uh, you got a router table, eh, the surface planer. I mean, are, are you talking about an actual lunchbox planer, like a, a regular planer, or are you talking about a hand planer? That's, that, that will change my answer too. Uh, but I'm just going to cut it right there. there. There are other versions of answers to this question, but the one I'm giving you right now is to get a safe table saw. Safe table saw. Okay. Now, what were you going to say? Something about a miter saw? Uh, well, I was saying, because we did the blanket ladder with yeah. just the miter saw. Sure. Which... Yeah, if you're buying a lot of your stuff pre-milled, uh, the miter saw can be really nice because it's good mm -hmm. to cut things to length. You can also do that on a table saw, yeah. which is what he already has. Okay, uh, Antoine Roland says, electric hand planers, bad idea or horrible idea? I'm hand planing a large undulating panel and it's taking forever. Why is it undulating? Is it just really naturally undulating or are you designing it to be undulating? Anyway, it's taking forever given my limited amount of free time and my non-robotic arms that get tired and sore. <laughs> I'm tempted to use a power planer on it, but afraid that it's too coarse of a tool um, and I need what he's looking for is more of a finishing job. And a related sub-question, I'm getting a good amount of tear out on the Babinga parts. The panel, is that something inherent to the species or is it just a question of subpar technique and blade sharpness? Okay, so last question first. We kind of just talked about that a little bit with the question between the standard plane and the uh, you know 50 degree or whatever it is for the York pitch, the high angle. If you go to a higher angle plane, it should make things like that easier. But got to tell you, I don't think I've ever really hand planed Babinga. Babinga is a very dense 
hard species uh, that can probably be something that fights you with hand tools. There's, when you look at hand tool users, people who are like dedicated to hand tool use, take a close look at what, you, what woods they're using. Very rarely will you see them using dense exotic species because guess what? They suck to plane. They're difficult on hand tools. It's not that you can't do it. It's just you get a lot, you have a lot easier time, you know, planing cherry or something like that. Uh, so anyway, I do think you can have success with the planes, but you do need really sharp blades. And you might even try something with a higher angle. Uh, but again, just going to be hard to push through the wood. Uh, now, should you use the power planer? You know, those things can be set for a light cut. Uh, I've used them before. I don't consider it a precision tool. But if you have known high spots, there is no reason why you can't use a power planer to get them down lower to the point that you can then switch back to another plane that may be, you know, a hand plane, a non-powered solution to do the final flattening and smoothing, right? So uh, if you just set it for a really light cut, you can actually get decent enough results with those hand power planers. Uh, they're just, they take a little bit of a learning curve and they can be aggressive if you have them set to be too aggressive. So Good Morning William, Williams Lake says Regan, uh, uh, Reagan, Staunchfield says hi from the hospital thinking of you guys mm. and also thanks again for the wonderful Christmas books I was like wait did we do a Christmas book I think it's we did not it's your book for Christmas oh I see <laughs> and the autographs I write a Christmas book <laughs> autographs from the whole family oh <laughs> uh, thanks that's well, awesome thank you Williams Lake okay uh, Yoso has a question I made a crosscut sled using T-Track for the top it's a Craig Tool one that's like got that L shape on it and a flip stop that has only one lens to see a measuring tape underneath. He says, I will add the tape to the right side of the blade, make a cut and align to the mark. And okay, so what he's trying to do is align the tape. Let's, let's keep it simple. And he's having trouble. He knows how he's gonna do the right side, but the tape on the left side, he's not totally sure about. Uh, I may not be the best person to ask this question. And the reason why is because I never use onboard tapes for anything but like gross approximations. Uh, when it comes to my table saw, even though I have that tape lined up pretty darn good, every cut that I make over there, if it's a critical cut, I'm measuring with a tape measure or a ruler. Uh, the same goes for my miter saw. The same goes for any sleds that I have. Uh, I don't think I've even ever looked at the measurements on my Incra uh, miter gauge and sled. It's just something that I don't count on because a lot of times, like you're talking about there, Yo, so the... Um, the reference point can move depending on what you're doing. You may, uh, I often move my my whole setup over one way or the other depending on what I'm doing. If I need more zero clearance or maybe I'm making an angle cut and now the aluminum is in the path of the blade. So now I have to move it again and everything just gets off. To me, that is way too much maintenance when I have a tape measure right there in my pocket and I could take my measurements. So chat room, if you have any suggestions for how to calibrate that tape, very effectively for you, so please let them know. Uh, I personally am not the type of person who does that. It's just not in my workflow. Connell Wright in the chat says, are the bench cookies actually useful? Do you still have your bench cookies? I used them the other day. Oh, they're yeah. right there. So we were putting finish on the uh, little benches, uh -huh. and we're finishing one side at a time. Bench cookies underneath it. It's a very soft species I'm working with. So I really, if it's already sanded, I don't want the western red cedar sitting on a hard surface. Uh, so I threw the bench cookies down, elevates the work. I was able to take my brush all the way around, get rid of any drips that might happen uh, around the perimeter. I still use bench cookies. It's not a daily use thing, um, but I still have a stack of them up there, and mm -hmm. I use them periodically. I remember when those were, like, announced at was the, the, AWFS. It was like the, the big <laughs> advancement of the year was uh, little plastic discs with neoprene on them. Yes. 
I got a question here from uh, Andrew. What Laguna bandsaw would you buy for resawing lumber? Well, a good one. Looking for a 220 volt model, but there are a couple choices. Well, he's not, you don't have any Laguna. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with Laguna's product line. You can definitely get some info from the chat. Uh, I think it's going to come down to how much power and resaw capacity you need. Um, but Laguna's a good brand. They make great saws. I don't think you're going to end up with a stinker, you know, going with them. But I can't tell you from model to model with Laguna. I'm looking. We have a Rockler affiliate, but it's really hard to get. It's not like the Amazon code. where it just gives you the code. Yeah. I have to like. You have to go get the code. I have and to put it in. Put it at the end of the link. Yes. Old school style. Old school style. Matthew Lee says, I have a question about building a simple kid's desk table. The top is made out of reclaimed slats from her beloved old bed, which was recently mm -hmm. replaced by a new one. The old one is headed for the landfill, but we saved the slats to make a memento for her. The question has to do with the thickness of the top. It's basically all the slats glued together as a panel, and it's going to end up a bit under a half an inch thick. Will that be adequate for strength, or do I need to add reinforcements? If so, what would you suggest? We're just using very simple big box store legs for time reasons, uh, and not a full cabinet or a frame. Because of that, the top will be taking most of the load. The slats are Maranti, also known as Luan, uh, so it's not a particularly dense or hardwood, similar to Poplar, according to WoodDB. Uh, the slats are oriented left to right, uh, so parallel with the long axis, and the dimensions are about 32 by 24. At that thickness, man, I'm a little bit concerned about that. That's a pretty thin top, especially since you have no support. Now, if you had uh, aprons on the underside, or maybe you put in a little storage cubby underneath, so if you had some support structure, I might be a little bit more okay with that. But the fact that you're under a half inch, and it sounds like you're just going to somehow put legs on it, um, I don't even know how you're going to pull that off. Are you just going to screw from the top down into the legs? You need some kind of support structure. Um, this is, if that's what I'm hearing, if that's correct, just four legs to the underside of a top that's less than a half inch, um, that is something that's going to be a problem. Uh, it probably will not hold up to any kind of racking forces. So if someone decides to lean on this desk or lean on the front edge of the desk, it's probably just going to crumble. So I'm not sure if I'm not getting all the information here, but I am concerned about that. And I think you should maybe think about some kind of a basic apron structure uh, to support that top and to not, not only support the top, but to give you uh, racking resistance on this thing. Those aprons going between legs, that's an incredible structural thing that has to be on most tables. So I'm a little bit concerned. I don't mean to sound the alarm, but it sounds just like too thin and not enough structure to keep that thing standing up. Um, let's see, Michael Bashor, new to woodworking, I want to start making cutting boards. What are your thoughts on epoxy cutting boards? Like all made out of epoxy? I don't know. Is or that a thing? coated with epoxy? Because I would think that would just... Well, look, plastic, in terms of like natural cutting board things and people who buy cutting boards and research cutting boards, plastic is one of those things that actually gets the bad rap. Because like, of the grooves and the bacteria, Yeah, right? like a lot of people think that the wood would be the thing that harbors the most bacteria, but there have been some studies, and I've actually read these. They're legitimate studies that have been done, uh, but I don't know how many additional studies have been done on this, that they showed that the plastic retains bacteria more than the wood, and that the wood kind of has some kind of natural antibacterial uh, sort yeah. of... 
properties to it. What if but you, you can put the plastic ones in the dishwasher? You can, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily completely disinfect them. Yeah, because um, so, they get deep down into those little cuts and crevices uh -huh. and everything. But the wood, the wood, you know, breathes in a sense, right? So it's able to. Uh, soak some things in, but then it also dries, and it dries completely, and that's when the bacteria dies. This is what the, the study said. All that said, I don't know it, it, to what degree you're using the epoxy, but I wouldn't necessarily put epoxy on anything that is a food surface mm -hmm. or anything intended for food contact. Uh, first of all, you got to make sure you absolutely have a food-safe uh, approved epoxy. And I know that's like easier said than done. Um, I know I've looked in the past and couldn't find anything. I'm sure there's stuff out there, but I'd have to question why you're going down this path. Um, I do know there are people who try to take the decorative element of epoxy and do things with cutting boards, but usually that's something where like, uh, what's her name? Uh, like this, like a river table. Yeah, like table. A, a river, but this is the one. Like, what's her name? Um, her name's Jess something or other. She's uh, she's really, really talented. Like the handle. She does, oh, Yeah, no. like that, where it's yeah. like the ocean that's coming up yeah, on there. Yeah, um, But it's a weird, this this one on Amazon. Let me just tell you, I'm looking at this and it's nine bucks. <laughs> yeah, but what are you actually looking at? <laughs> I don't at? know. It's like a, it's an epoxy resin it's mold. It's a silicone mold. Uh, that's not yeah. the actual product itself. Right. So, but my point being, if you're going to do this, I don't think I want anybody's food near epoxy if you can avoid it. Right. So even if it's a decorative thing, like those ocean washing on the cutting board sort of things, that's usually off toward the handle. Right. And you don't actually see the food going on that. I mean, that's just my personal opinion on this. Um, look, you want to work with wood, work with wood. You want to make cutting boards, make good cutting boards. I think you should I'm going to be a little bit bullish about this. Yeah. Keep the epoxy out of your cutting board. I just don't think it needs to be there. Have fun with it if you want to you know, like experiment and do some fun stuff. But I would not feel comfortable giving a person an, a, a cutting board that is you know either coated with epoxy or requires this the food to touch about. the epoxy. This is what he's talking about. Uh, what is that? No waste cutting boards. So they're using epoxy to fill the gaps between scraps in this case. Yeah. That, okay, who am I to judge? If that works for that person and they have success with it and people love cutting food on epoxy, <laughs> all the power that? to you. Uh, it's just not for me. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's all we could say about it. Yeah. Just go, uh, actually go on YouTube and just search for epoxy cutting board and you'll find. They are, they are out there. Lots of videos. Remember, keep epoxy as an adhesive. <laughs> Make, what did you say? Make epoxy make, a glue again? Yeah, make epoxy a glue again. That's a good hashtag <laughs> to keep in mind. Okay. Uh, let's see. Doug, is that the one? Yes. Doug Johnson wants to know which um, guide rail square do I use for the track saw? Got it right here. This is Woodpecker's second generation. They had a, a, the first one was not nearly as good as this. This thing is rock solid. A lot of people ask if the adjustability is a problem. Does it knock it out of 90? I actually don't very often cut on angles. I keep this thing locked at 90, and it has stayed there since I set it up. Uh, I haven't tried the other angles, but I'm pretty confident that if I move it and then move it back, it's probably going to be just fine. Uh, but I can tell you for sure that if you hold it at 90 and keep it there, it kind of just stays there. Uh, so this is pretty fantastic. There are a few of these on the market now. In fact, I think, um, oh, what's his name? Jason Bent. Mm -hmm. uh, bent woodworking. I think we even have those. Or at least we used to. Used to. Well, we did the whole clean out. Oh, yeah, point, yeah. So it might have gone. Anyway, uh, I could have sworn on Instagram I saw a little um, quick video that he has where he was reviewing some of the most common um, 
track squares. So uh, go seek him out because I think he's talking about those. Uh, yeah. Okay. Seth Downs. Did I did I did I anger a bunch of people? No, no, no. Actually, Michael even said great advice. Thank you. I get lost watching different types of videos and get confused. It's fun, right? It's cool, and it's it's a unique, cool thing to do. But I think when you really, you know, take the ten thousand foot view and you go, do I want to cut food on epoxy? You, you you might come up with an answer that says no, I don't. And why would I want to uh, when I have wood? Okay, Seth Downs. When using an oil-based penetrating finish that absorbs into the wood, how would you suggest accounting for the wood structure? As an example, red oak drinks up finish. Is it advisable to use multiple coats to get the desired gloss and protection, or is it a different initial application to provide the right level of finish? Okay, so I actually was just dealing with some of this because that western red cedar set of benches uh, is very soft, very absorbent. It's like a sponge. So if you're using something that's a penetrating oil, you do have to be careful because it's tempting to just keep putting it on there. Drink it up, drink it up. The problem with these penetrating oil finishes they need to breathe. You need to get oxygen to the finish for it to cure. So if you just keep soaking that thing up, you may actually have a little bit of a uh, sticky mess on your hands when it's all said and done uh, because the inside where all the, the deep stuff absorbed isn't really getting hit with air. So it is going to take a long time to cure. Uh, so I think typically what, what I usually do is I'll apply some of this oil finish on there. I let it sit. If it needs a little bit more, if I see some bare spots, I'll come back. I'll hit it again. And that's it. I don't want to go over it too many times. I don't want to really totally soak it. Uh, and then I leave it, and then, you know, whatever the process is, usually you're wiping off the excess for penetrating oils. Uh, you wipe that excess off, let it dry, come back the next day, take a look at it. Um, you'd be surprised. Just that one treatment does a lot to help the wood stop sucking in moisture, right? So you gave it a chance to cure, and now you've kind of stopped it up. It's partially sealed. You can now hit it again with that second coat, and you're going to find it's a lot less likely to pull in so much that second time. Uh, and that's how I would approach it. I, I think when it comes to the penetrating oils, you do flood it on, let it drink up what it wants to, but you're not going to continually, just over the course of 10 minutes, let it soak it, soak it, soak it. Uh, you're basically going to go for light coats and go for as many as the wood takes. There will be a point where the wood is sealed. And then you put that finish on there, wipe it off. You're actually not even putting anything more on the surface because you just wiped it all off. Uh, once it stops absorbing, then it's no longer drinking it in, right? So uh, I did this with um, an Osmo product and a Rubio product on these two benches because I want to observe how they fare over time. Both of them did the same thing. They had to be reapplied. And I'm going to put probably my second coat on today. I think it'll be a lot less absorbent. I want to mention this because I don't think I've ever seen this statement. Sandy Adams in the chat says, Laguna has excellent customer service as well. You are remembering some old school forum chat. Really? Is Re what you remember. Well, what I'm what I'm ha happy to see is that cuz that was a big That it's the opposite of what we used like, to hear. It, that it's the opposite, which is great cuz they probably said we should probably fix that. Yeah, Laguna for ages in the forums. Like and it, this is one of those things that just kind of like you always hear Lee Valley has great customer service mm -hmm. and it's just an accepted truth in woodworking. Uh, Laguna having bad customer service was a reputation that they suffered from for a long time. Long time. And it, just years and years. You go, oh, I mean, yeah, Laguna makes I mean, obviously, if I'm still, still thinking. The fact that you even remember that, <laughs> you know? And, and it's a shame because we, we met the owners yeah, uh, yeah. At, at a couple different shows. Incredibly nice people. Um, but I think there's a situation where when you're really proud of the things you produce, you can be defensive mm -hmm. about it, right? Uh, I, I know this. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I can often be defensive about the things I make. 
so the, I think there was a point where they, they must have fixed it, right? And Obviously. Then, and got to a point where it was like... That's really great to hear. Yeah, no, I think it's great because they've always made great products, but uh, hearing good customer service from any company is always good. Mm -hmm. But Lagoon is great. I like them. Wow. I got a question here from Dennis. Dennis wants to know, uh, while build, uh, building a white oak kids picnic table for a uh, kids auction, mm -hmm. what is the best finish to use on it? There's no such thing. <laughs> okay. I have gone back and forth on outdoor finishes. There's lots of schools of thought. The best finish, you want to know what it is, paint, right? But mm -hmm. I'm sure you're not going to do that. So I think going back to the penetrating oil conversation, from my experience, as long as someone is willing to, number one, either maintain the finish or, number two, accept the fact that the finish is going to eventually deteriorate and the wood is going to gray naturally, if you're okay with either of those two eventualities or options, uh, I would say the penetrating oil is the way to go. It makes the wood not, it sort of repels the liquid, right? So it's not going to soak up any water or things like that, but it still lets the wood expand and contract. There's no film to crack over time. So if you use any kind of marine varnish, uh, and especially if this thing is kept outside in the sun, it's going to deteriorate. The finish will flake. It will lift. Eventually, it's going to look like crap. At least with an oil finish, if it's neglected, it will just gray over time. It'll still look dirty, It'll, but it'll look like that old gray park bench, you know, that, that you still could sit on, but you might get up and go, something on my pants now. Uh, it's not going to look pristine, but it still, I think, will look better than a picnic table that had a film finish applied where the film finish then failed, right? So I think you should go with the penetrating oil. I'm playing with um, Rubio's hybrid wood protector. Um, that seems to be an interesting product. I'll let you know what I think about it later. Osmo has some outdoor formulations with pigment in it. If you could put some pigment in there, you're even better off because the pigment is a really good UV blocker. Uh, big particles of color tend to scatter the UV and block it or reflect it. Um, so the, the Osmo stuff is actually pretty good for that too. And then look into like decking products. Um, there are decking oils that, uh, like I did with a pergola. Uh -huh. uh, Penifin was a product that I used. I'm going to try out a new one soon Yeah, too. we just talked with the folks that, that uh, do Cabot. Uh, they have that Australian timber oil. Uh -huh. I know I've actually, you know what's funny? I think I used that on the garden gate. I got to go look at that video. Uh -huh. uh, so I'm definitely on the penetrating oil train when it comes to outdoor stuff at this point. Oh, and I've got a video coming out real soon. Speaking of outdoor finishes, I think you might be interested in this. Uh, we just basically did a review of all of my outdoor furniture pieces, giving the history of it, what's been done, has it been refinished, where has it lived, and here's what the finish looks like. So, I don't know, that might be interesting to some people. Uh, because it's timely, Anthony <clears throat> said, "Would you, where would you rate the durability of 100% pure tongue oil compared to other finishes? What about for outdoor furniture, apparently it was used in ancient cultures on ship hulls. Mm -hmm. So I would think it would be good. Well, I think when it comes to any oil, especially those, like a lot of the oils I'm talking about for penetrating oils and outdoor stuff, it's got other things in it. You know, a lot of times it's got pigments in it or it's some kind of proprietary formulation with UV blockers. Pure tongue oil has none of that. Uh, all you're really going to get from pure tongue oil is water resistance if you apply enough coats. And that's kind of the challenge with these classic oils. It's about the number of coats that you apply. So how much patience do you have? Mop it on. <laughs> I remember the it, it was for workbenches, right? If you're oiling a workbench, there was this classic um, time frame schedule that you go... I forget what it was. Once, once a day for a week, once a week for a month, once a month for a year. And that will eventually get you to a point of a, a nice, durable, 
classic oil finish. And I'm like, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Who has time for that? So, yeah, I think you can use oils like that. And I do think, again, even just regular tongue oil, you might be better off with that than than a film-forming finish in some cases, especially if you don't plan to maintain it. Uh, Because at least you'll get some water resistance for a while, but you won't get a flaking, gross, ugly finish like what I had on those benches. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, it can be done, but, man, I don't have the patience to to continually apply a pure oil like that and get something useful out of it. Uh, Jackie says, we are looking for your recommendations on converting our wood wood benches wood benches with cast iron ends to two chairs located in Ontario, Canada would like to know what wood we should use. Uh, they're going to be outside? I guess. In the snow, in the cold. A lot of times with outdoor stuff, it's best to ask locals, you know, if you can go to a lumber supplier and say, what's a good outdoor species that's, you know, reasonably priced. Um, there, are, there are lists online where you could find what are good outdoor species. For that area. Yeah, you, and you could start there because a lot of times you might find something uh, that we have commonly here, mm-hmm. like on the west side of the U.S., that might not be available on the east coast and vice versa. Um, so I, I can't give you a very meaningful recommendation But first, start looking at lists of outdoor species, see what's available in your area. Definitely ask around and see if you can find something that's appropriate for your area and and also in your budget. Because you could just say teak, but then teak's pretty darn expensive. Yeah, teak is, well, here. Everywhere. Is it? Yes. You never know. Uh, Walt DJR says, I have enough money saved up now that I could buy both a cheap miter saw and a cheap table saw, both Ryobi. Or I can buy a DeWalt job site table saw. Starting out, would it be better to get both types of saws or get the better table saw? I realize the answer is it depends. But for a beginner <laughs> who has the following projects lined up, stove cover. Sto- uh, it's like a cutting board, but it's shape, it's sized for the stove. So it covers the stove? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a Is that why it's called a stove yeah. cover? Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for the 411, Nicole. <laughs> Step stool for the kitchen. Hey, is that a, a stool that you step on? I think it is. Nice. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, workbench and a couple of other smaller things like that. How do you live with me? This is a question I have to ask myself. You make me laugh. Because... I, look at, I was looking at pictures last night. My phone kind of shows me memories. And I'm looking at pictures of you holding Ava. I'm like, man, she's beautiful. What did I do right? And how is this still going on? You make me laugh. That's why. <laughs> uh, it's got to be something okay uh, so let's see workbench couple other smaller things like that what would be your recommendation now normally it's interesting because he gave me enough information here people often don't uh, where I can give him a very specific answer to this uh, he's asking should he go with two cheaper tools a chop saw and a table saw or get the DeWalt saw which is actually a pretty darn good saw that's the one that we selected for the beginners course if we ever actually use it Uh, And it gets great reviews. It's actually for its form factor. Uh Pretty darn good saw. Everything you told me you're going to build benefits more from a good table saw than a chop saw. Think about what you do with a chop saw. Unless you're doing, let's say, crown molding, you know, or something interior projects in a home, uh, the miter saw is really just giving you crosscuts. That's its primary job. Well, you can do that at the table saw too. Uh, So there's nothing you've listed here in your list of projects that tells me a miter saw is going to be a big benefit. But all of them will benefit from a table saw that has a good fence, that doesn't move, has enough power to get through whatever wood you're cutting, right? So in this case, I'm going to say table saw. Go for the better DeWalt table saw. I think you're going to be happier in the long run. 
I'm making sure that I'm not missing any other super chats. Just wanted to say thank you. We just got a, a sign up from mm. where'd it go? Oh, where did he go? Did it show up? Anyway. Good morning from Sacramento. Where's everybody from today? Okay. Derek W. I want to ask that. More Derek often. W. Uh, just subscribed to the bonus live show, which, by the way, if you're not familiar, uh, we do this for about 45 minutes, and then we go over to the after show, and we talk about all the stuff that is not woodworking, like yeah. WandaVision. Oh, hey. Uh, Brian Thorpe says, if a can says teak oil, is it just a tongue oil mixture? No guarantees, Brian. Uh, teak oil, Danish oil, these are generic terms. Most of the time... Just to put it simply, I don't necessarily know what oil it was made with. It could be a linseed oil. It could be tongue oil if it's a real uh, high-quality version. Um, but it is probably going to be a diluted oil with a little bit of varnish in it. And then something for you know to assist with UV. Uh, because teak oil typically is meant for outdoor things. Uh, so, But most of the time, when you have those generic terms like Danish oil or teak oil, you can just about bet it's going to be an oil varnish blend that's diluted enough that you can kind of wipe it on the surface and wipe it off. So there's Derek. There's Derek. Welcome, Derek. All that work for Derek and to then, welcome him. Hey, uh, welcome, jo Derek. John made me laugh. Uh, I provided that extensive T-shirt collection. That's, that's right. me. <laughs> yeah, I only had three T-shirts. <laughs> when I met you, he and was... And they all said uh, red hot chili peppers. <laughs> right? Okay. This is true. Uh, okay, hold on. Okay. I don't think we need to do this, but Jason says, I think you should do one free bonus show so we know what it's like. It's like this, yeah. but less about woodworking. Yes. There you go. That's all you need to know, man. It's actually, uh, it's just a little bit of fun. It's very off topic. Sometimes someone... We actually can read the chat. Yeah, we can keep up with it. Uh, sometimes someone will pollute the conversation with a woodworking question and we will answer it, right? Uh, actually, a lot of times, someone who couldn't get their question in on the main show yeah. will come to the after show and be like, here's my question. Yeah. And then we'll be able to answer it's it. a lot slower. But honestly, man, the preview you need is right here. The goofier parts of this show, that's kind of what the after show is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, DC per side said, sad. Do you use the mobile bases from the tool manufacturer or generic ones if your table saw didn't, I can't speak today, your table saw didn't have retractable wheels, would you have put it on a mobile base? No, only because it's hard to get on the mobile base. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. This is mobile and I don't base. Need, yeah, I don't need to move it that often, so I probably would not for the table saw, though had I gone through the trouble, like if you want to do it, I'm going to say do it because anytime you need to move that thing, you're going to be so glad that you have a mobile base on there. Um, but again, because the PM2000 has the mobility system, I, I don't have to think about it. So yeah, I, I would if I weren't so lazy. Um, as for the other ones, I actually have a lot of Powermatic gear that came with mobile bases and their mobile bases, at least in the Powermatic line, are heavy duty. And a lot of times they're like form fitting for the shape of the base. So I say go for it. If it comes with some kind of mobile base option, Unless it's ridiculously priced or not real good quality, go for it. Uh, but if you have to get like an HTC base or, you know, who are the other companies that make these things? Um, I do have a couple tools that do have uh, aftermarket bases. Works just fine, right? Did, so, you, did you answer Doug Johnson's question? Maybe. Uh, the guide rail square? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Mm -hmm. That was this hoochie over here. Hoochie, hoochie mama. Uh, John Hemstra, love the show. Question, what table saw blades do you use? Brands and configuration, please. Mm. The you, most common you have saw. The forest, 
too, right? Yeah, I always go back to the Forest Woodworker 2 uh, 40 tooth. Uh, that's my all-around blade. That is a blade that's good enough to make to facilitate laziness, which is not switching to a ripping configuration when you need to. It handles long rips in hardwoods. It handles clean cross cuts in hardwoods. It handles plywood just fine, uh, whether it's a cross cut or a rip. So if you want to invest in a good blade that's just going to be an all-around winner, I think a 40-tooth combination blade, Woodworker 2, is a so great option. So I'm, co I'm confused because this one says it's $185, but this one says it's $78. Yeah. Which one do you have? I don't know. This one? I'm guessing the $78 one. It's showing me eight different blades on Amazon right now. I'm probably yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. give you a good answer. Well, one says that it's 10 and a quarter inch 40-tooth. This one says that it's four. Oh, this is smaller. So yeah. this is the one you have. I don't know. I'm sure this is the one you have. I don't know, Nicole. No idea. Well, uh, I can, I can tell you that after the show. Hey, I'm going to throw it in our Amazon store yeah. for your reference. So there's also, um, I've got a couple of those Lights brand blades that are pretty good. There's a bunch of premium Tenru, uh, Ridge Carbide. There's, there's a lot of good brands out there. So if you're investing in that kind of you know, money, a good combination blade is going to go a long way for you. I still think it's a good idea to have a rip blade around because sometimes you may just be cutting something super thick. It's a long run. Why stress the blade if you don't have to, right? Uh, you might get burning if, uh, if you have too much friction in there. Uh, so have a good rip configuration. About a 30-tooth blade is probably good. These are all ATB, alternating bevel. Um, the other thing I have is I don't really need like an 80-tooth blade. Most of my plywood cuts, I get perfectly clean cuts with a 40-tooth. Uh, you could get a plywood blade if you felt like you needed to. Uh, the other thing I have is a square grind blade. That is a single standard eighth inch blade. This one happens to be from Forest, but it's got a square tooth configuration, so it creates a flat bottom, so it's not the alternating bevels that you see on the other ones. That is dedicated to joinery, right? So if I want to cut like a little rabbit on something or a drawer groove by making a couple of passes, uh, this thing is almost like you know, taking the center chippers out of a dado stack or something, you know, with, with square grind. Uh, so think of it for joinery only. Um, it's an, I think they call it the, a number one grind in the forest line of things, um, but great little blade. I don't think it's absolutely essential though. If all you did was buy a 40 tooth woodworker two or something comparable, you're going to be fine. And then, you're going to be yeah, fine. You could be pickier later. Uh, I got a question here from Devos Woodworking. Did I say that right? Devos, Devos. maybe? Devos? Um, it makes me think of the show Devs on Hulu. Okay. Good show. Uh, hi, Mark. Longtime viewer of your channel. Question about joinery for casework like a hand tool cabinet. Uh, like using my domino, however, worried about the orientation of the domino's end grain on an upright panel. Huh? Just read it. No, I know what he said. Okay. I'm trying to understand what the concern is. An upright panel. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of any configuration where an upright panel is connecting to like a top or a bottom in the case of casework where we need to be concerned about what the dominoes are doing. Um, as long as your top panel, your bottom pa your let's do it this way, your top panel, your bottom panel, and your side panel all have the grain running the same way, they're all going to expand and contract. And what you do with the joinery probably isn't going to really have a whole lot of impact in there. So if you want to use the domino, pop in dominoes all the way across the, the depth of the cabinet. Shouldn't be a problem. I, I might be misunderstanding, but I, th I think that's what you're saying, and I think it's going to be fine. 
Uh, let's take one more question. We're actually at the end of the show. Okay, Scott Walsh, what would you wait? What would be your preferred method of jointing and planing curly hard maple? I have a straight knife jointer planer, and I'm getting way too much chip out. Mm-hmm. Are there other options over a router sled? Yeah, you got the table saw sled, right? You can do the same, you know, similar concept. You could take, um, oh, he's talking about router sled for flattening. Ooh. Well, I'll tell you what, working with figured woods is the reason I bought a drum sander. <laughs> I mean, it, sometimes with the figured stuff, if your planer and jointer just can't do it, uh, let's say you've tried the wiping the surface down with some alcohol. That's one of the tricks. You moisten the fibers. You're running it at a little bit of a skew angle as you go across the blades. Your blades are perfectly sharp and you're still getting tear out. There's not that many options. You know, you, you mentioned one with the, the sled. Uh, there is the option of CNC if you can access one. Uh, you could rent time on a local shop that actually has like a, a wide belt sander. Uh, you could, these are the things you might have to do. I, I, like the problem is like if you're just getting constant tear out and your tools can't address the wood without tearing it out, there just aren't that many choices, right? Um, a good hand plane, if you are good with hand planes, really high angle, you might be able to pull it off that way. But I'll tell you, man, it was veneers and figured woods that make, made me go years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I need to, I have to be able to get this stuff smooth without all these little pits in the surface that drive me nuts. Got to get that drum sander. So not pushing you toward a drum sander, but you might have to find someone who has one. Yeah, it's no fun. <laughs> We answer questions all over. I'm just making sure they're woodworking questions. What's that? Uh, Apple was saying we only answer questions uh, only to their good buddies. And uh, that's not true. That is I not just true pull, at all. I just pull questions. <laughs> uh, we do have a super chat. I only have like two of those good buddies. <laughs> okay. Uh, super chat. Okay, this will be the last question. Okay. Okay. Bob Brewer, Hobbies, says, Thank you for your kind advice and humor. Is a power miter saw something I can cut corners on? Seven and a quarter, 10 or 12 inch. Uh, I have a good table saw. It is kind of like a ba-dum-bum joke. Like, can I cut corners on the miter saw? Mm -hmm. Of course you can. It's a miter saw. (laughs) Put it to 45 and cut that corner right off. Mm -hmm. I think you can. And I'll tell you why. I I wouldn't go to seven and a quarter. But I wanted to experiment. Because a couple years ago, I taught at the Mark Adams School. And Mark had a bunch of miter saws set up that were pretty much just dedicated to 90-degree cuts. They were simple chop saws. They didn't have any sliding action. There was nothing fancy about them. Simple 10-inch saws. And I was like, you know, I kind of admire that. There's a simplicity there. Like, there's fewer things to get messed up, fewer things to calibrate. And the saw just does what it's supposed to do, and it does it every time. So I came back, and I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I'll try that. I think I was rolling with a Bosch slider at that time. Because I had gone from the Capex to the Bosch, moved to this area, tried the Makita, mm-hmm. had that weird alignment problem that they, I don't know if they ever fixed, uh, and then said, this Makita's not working, I'll go back to the Bosch. Uh, and this was the time I was trying to simplify things. What when got I was stolen building, when oh, you that, were that was an old, um, it was an old Makita. 53, it was, on, it was in yeah, Arizona. Yeah, the old house. You almost gave our old address. Yeah. We don't <laughs> not, live there. Not that any, it would matter. We don't live there anymore. But so, somebody just came, the, the garage was down, and somebody just came under and just picked it up. There's a lot of construction up. in that yeah. area at the time, and I was an idiot, and I was moving things around. I kept the saw on the floor. Wasn't the Festool right next to it? I don't remember. It was There was something expensive next to it, yeah. and they picked the Bosch. They picked the brand they recognized, Yeah, and it was a Makita. So anyway, I went from the Bosch to a very simple DeWalt non-slider 
and it was fine. It was okay. The trouble was I would have to sometimes flip a board and make two cuts to get all the way through a width that it couldn't get in one shot. Uh, and the dust collection wasn't very good. So the reason I went away from that is because I hired an employee. I was concerned about, number one, their safety. So I wanted to make sure the dust collection was pretty good. Uh, and I also got tired of seeing them do this thing that I caused just as an experiment. Watching them flip boards constantly just to make one cut. You know, cut once, flip it, cut again. And I'm like, why am I making... It was Jay at the time. Uh, why am I making Jay do this? This is stupid. I'm just going to go and get the, the stupid Festool... Uh, but that said, for someone who's determined to cut corners and to try to save some money, I think a 10-inch, non-sliding, uh, even one that only goes one direction, right? It only tilts in one direction. As long as you're just doing a lot of 90-degree cuts on that thing, um, you're fine with something like that. Uh, it will be tedious at times, but you can get by. Um, Jason said, I think horizontal makes gravity... This is for Devo DeVos. DeVos. Okay. Um, makes gravity try to hurt the dominoes instead of pulling it out of the joint. And basically, just to follow up, because I know you said you weren't sure. Um, well, here's he what, says what he was worried about was the gluing of the dominoes in the orientation to the grain of the upright mortise, if that makes sense. Okay. I still don't understand why okay. it's a problem. Okay. It's no different than a mortise and tenon joint. Uh, the whole panel, including the mortise and tenons, kind of expands and contracts in unison. I just don't see where there's any problems here. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know for sure. And, and this is, you know, sometimes if I come across <clears throat> dismissive, I don't mean to be that way. Um, it's very hard to visualize what people are trying to tell me in a very short question. And it's sure. hard for you to tell me the information I need to know in a short question. This is just the nature of the medium. Yeah. Uh, I just don't want it to seem like I'm being dismissive, but I try to give you an answer with the available information I have, and it's often not enough. So well, there you go. As long as we understand each other. We understand each other. Okay. We just So we're going to head on over, uh, where'd it go? Uh, to the after show. I just wanted to say uh, Nicholas just signed up for the after show. Oh, hey, so. Nicholas. Thanks for becoming a YouTube member, Nicholas. Yeah. All right. All so right. We're good? I think we're good. Okay. Well, Anything else going on? No. Okay. I might do a video for uh, members and for um, whatever. What, is it the $5 level? The $5 level, yeah. I've been doing those more often. They're behind uh, the scenes stuff. Yeah, we put them on YouTube, but Nicole also cross-posts them over on Patreon. Uh -huh. Did we figure that out yet? Somebody, so I know a few of you were like, What's going on with the Merca? If you want to know behind the scenes stuff with the Merca, if you are uh, re if you're at that five dollar level on either Patreon mm -hmm. or on YouTube, there's videos. You can Just go for watch funsies, them. I do some behind the scenes stuff. Uh, you know, not fancy video. I'm, I'm shooting it with my phone, <laughs> uh, but giving you an idea of what's going on. And uh, you know, it's just fun, informal stuff. So if you're into that, that's available to you. All right, so thank you, everybody. We will see some of you over on the after show. Have a great weekend. Stay positive. Wipe your butts. It sounds like what I say that to Mateo. Stay positive. Have a positive have day. Have a great day. You, you are, are in control of your day. You're of your own destiny. You guys have a great day. Don't yell at your teachers. Okay? Bye. Bye.